Welcome back to Our Brooklyn Bites. This is episode 42. I am Stephanie. I am Leon. Leon, what did you play this week? <laughs> let's, let's cut to the chase. The chase. All right. Yeah. I didn't know I was being chased, but <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, well, so this week was uh, another moment in history worth uh, uh, talking about. It was uh, the uh, 30th anniversary of the launch of the Amiga computer. Uh, this was a big deal. If you kind of look at the long view of things, I mean, um, I don't know if it was super popular in the U.S. I know it was a huge hit in Europe, especially a little further into its history when it, you know, cheaper models came out eventually and it made its way to Europe. They were, you know, later in the 90s. Um, super popular machine, but I'm uh, sort of looking at the launch of the original Amiga 1000. This was on July 23rd of 1985. Is it wrong to have an association of a flying toaster with the Amiga? Or was that a different <laughs> machine? Uh, you're probably thinking of... Was that, was that PC? Well, you're probably thinking of the After Dark screensaver that had the flying toaster imagery. Maybe. Um, but there was also a, a famous piece of uh, video hardware for the Amiga called the Video Toaster. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And maybe I'm confusing the two. Yeah, I think you're blending those things together. <laughs> toast. To- I'm thinking toast when I think of yeah, Amiga. Yeah, well, I guess... The Macintosh was maybe famous for making desktop publishing uh, like a thing mm-hmm. in, in the mid-80s. Um, but I mean, the Amiga was probably famous for making desktop video possible. It was like the first low-cost option for making you know home video hmm. editing uh, a real thing where you can you, know, you can mix different video sources together and blend it with like computer graphics and titling and fades and things like that things that were limited to really just expensive TV studios back then but you know the video capabilities of the Amiga made that possible at home um, but aside from all that I mean I didn't own one back then I always I feel like the Amiga was like the childhood that I never had <laughs> you know what I mean like it's a machine that I always wanted and I lost it after I oh, you s- did yeah definitely I mean I really really was I mean I knew a few friends that had one and I was always thrilled to, to get a chance to play some of those games but, you know, it was always... But did you want one just for games or for, like, video production? Uh, I, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't for productivity back then. Uh-huh. I mean, in practical terms, I needed to um, get a PC for my... Because my, I was a computer, programmer, uh, computer science major. So I needed a PC for programming. But, you know, not that I, that was impossible on the Amiga. Certainly it was possible, but... Um, because the assignments were given mm-hmm. specifically on on PC, uh, you know, based um, environments, I, I kind of had to get a PC at the time. So that was sort of my requirement at the at back then. Uh, you know, as strictly as a game machine, it was probably a little expensive. Obviously, a lot of those sixteen bit computers were several thousand dollars, so it wasn't going to be a cheap investment. You know, I think my first PC was probably six hundred dollars by comparison. Hmm. So. Definitely uh, a, sort of a different level. Um, but I'm, I was looking for Amiga games to play this week to sort of commemorate the launch. So you went into your garage, you dusted off your <laughs> two Amigas that you have. I, I have three, actually. You have three. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a bit of work. It's a bit of you know, it takes some work to get some games going on on a machine these days because you either have to have floppies ready, or you have to have a hard drive. Working floppies. Yeah, well, that's how games were sold back then. Uh, three and a half yeah. inch floppies were, no, were yeah. the standard. Oh, they were already at three and a half mm-hmm. by the time that came out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure. Eighty-five, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I obviously went with the emulation option for yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, my my machines are not quite set up. Um, there's plenty of options to get that going. I mean, uh, especially with a hard drive, um, there's there are various ways to set that up. So you can you can boot, you know, floppy games off of your your hard drive on those machines, but. That's a whole other project. <laughs> um, so I considered a few different games, uh, most of which I hadn't played. Um, some of these are pretty well known on other platforms. Uh, big Amiga games at the time included like Turrican mm. and uh, you know James Pond Two Super Cod. I love that game. <laughs> I like the first one better. Uh huh. Um, Shadow of the Beast was also a big a Amiga t- game at the time. Psychosis, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, Super Frog, another another well known game. I don't game. think I played that one. Never played it either. Um, the Alien Breed series. I've heard of that one? Yeah. yeah, and I even have uh, the the remakes of those games on PC. Um, it was one of my early Steam purchases. But I didn't pick any of those games. I settled on a title that was exclusive to the Amiga, that was never ported to anything else, called Rough and Tumble. Hmm. In the fantasy forest, if you can. Oh, in the fan. Yeah, that's kind uh, of the subtitle. When you said rough and tumble, I'm thinking like a street fighting type of yeah, like right? brawler or something. Uh-huh. And then you say in the forest. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of um, it's a kind of a run and gun action game, really. Hmm. More than uh, it's not it's not a fighting game of any kind. Um, this was uh, released in 1994, so a bit late in pretty late. in the platform's life. Uh, it was developed by a company called Wonderkind. Um, published by Renegade Software, which was actually uh, a publishing uh, label that was created by, uh, was founded by the Bitmap Brothers, who were also um, responsible for a lot of uh, games of that time, a lot of the big games on the Amiga mm. um, that were also ported to other systems. But uh, Gods, if you remember the platformer Gods. Yeah, yeah I played it on Genesis, Genesis I, I believe. Um you know that was one of the one of their big titles, uh, the Xenon series of mm, shooters. Yeah. Um, so they were they were pretty prolific at the time, and this was a, you know put out by their company, um, Speedball, another one, another one of mm. their games, Chaos Engine. <laughs> uh, I'm not familiar with that. No. Mm. Well, at any rate, uh, this was this was done by another uh, developing development team. Uh, I think the names associated with this, the design was uh, by. Uh, Jason Perkins and Robin Levy. I don't know. Uh, the other titles that, they're, that they've worked on were not familiar to me. Um, but this one was pretty... Uh, this one caught my eye, though, because of all the, the, the shooting action. This looked. I saw a kid that was running around with like some kind of machine gun. And I thought, wow, this game would never be made today. <laughs> so um, it's kind of this blonde-haired kid. Kind of looks like a Dennis the Menace type, almost. Mm-hmm. Um it's uh it, it, the character's name is Rough Rogers. So that's where the title of the game Rough and Tumble uh comes from. Um for some reason uh the villain Dr. Destiny in this game uh challenges him to uh, you know the kids for some reason he's he's a fan of marbles. 
and well, isn't that every kid? Yeah, I guess. Uh, and Doctor Destiny steals the kid's marbles and challenges him to get them back by running through his his world. He's got some kind of uh, he wants to use the marbles to power a machine that's going to allow him to conquer the world. What other plots do you need for a game like yeah, this? Deep, deep storytelling. Uh-huh. So, imagine, like, kind of the shooting action of Contra or Metal Slug combined with, like, large scrolling stages with multiple levels. Kind of like, imagine, like, a kind of like a Sonic kind of a layout or uh, Earthworm Jim or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like kind of run and shoot rather than strictly platforming action. Um, the soundtrack is very much what you would expect from an Amiga game. It sounds a bit like, sort of like, a, maybe like an 8-bit version of a Super Nintendo, maybe. You know, like, with like... Uh, like, like uh, low-bit res Yeah, like kind of like down-sampled and, uh-huh. quality of sound. But like, kind of with like a Genesis hard edge to it. Yeah. You know? Um, and the thing is, though, that the main, that each... each so it's basically four main worlds, and each one is broken up into four stages, and that's how you kind of work through it. Um, and all of those stages have, like, the same music throughout. So each stage has its own signature set song, but it plays throughout all the four stages of that world. So it does get a bit repetitive. Um, there was supposedly an option in the game to turn off the music, mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't get that to work. I don't mm-hmm. know. I kept pressing the M button, which is supposed to toggle the music, and that okay. wasn't doing anything. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, with like typical Amiga games, the controls are pretty easy. It's left, right to move, um, up to, to jump. And the fire button, of course, is to fire. Up to jump. Up to All jump. Right. Yeah. Cause Amiga's used 2600 style joysticks. Just one button. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was, that was the standard controller back then. Crazy for 94. That's insane. I mean, Super Nintendo. Well, was yeah. I mean, to- that was much later, but remember 85 is when it first came out. So, yeah, but you said this game. Well, this I guess game, yeah. they're stuck with that. Well, I, well, I mean, at the, in the lifespan of the Amiga, they never, no one ever thought of like releasing a controller with more than one button. They did, although it wasn't quite standardized. It seemed like, well, by the time the Amiga CD32 came out, for mm-hmm. example, that had a two-button controller, um, and a lot of those games did support two-button action. I mean, that's insane. NES had two buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but four it's, technically, if you want to count select and start. It's it's a it was a leg. I mean, it came with the same DB9 legacy controller port mm. that that most systems of, the, of that day had because the Commodore 64 had it yeah, and the Sega Atari Genesis. line. Uh-huh. Um, so it just kind of inherited that. And I, I guess you know when they want to make a game, they want to make sure the most people can use it. So they're going to try to stick with the lowest common denominator. Um, I think there is a version of the game that that will work with the second button, but. It wasn't. It wasn't standardized. Hmm. Um, so the first world is kind of you're in a fa- you're in a what's called the fantasy forest. That's where the typical setting is. Um, you see a look on this kid's face. This kid looks like he's looking for trouble. <laughs> you know, he's clutching that gun, and it looks like he's got you know he's found a weapon of his dreams, and he's just blasting everything. And, you know, you kind of get your feet wet in the beginning. Um, the enemies throughout the game are all robots. They're called Tin Heads. <laughs> so they're all of a certain design, though. Each each of the four worlds has sort of a certain theme to it. And the enemies kind of match that theme. Um, so this one's a forest. So basically you have robots here that look like insects. Um, some of them are like, they look like wasps with kind of like helicopter blades over them. 
Um, uh, but some of them are just like helmeted robots for some reason. They have like, they almost look like tin soldiers, like, but like, uh, like maybe like a World War One type of robot. You know, he's got like a tin hat and he's got like kind of a musket looking rifle, um, things like that. Uh, there are these pads on the ground that enemies spawn from, but they kind of glow if there's more enemies that are going to come out of them. Kind of like a generator, like a gauntlet kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right. And then as soon as you've you've blasted all of them away, then it kind of goes dark, and you know that there aren't going to be any more enemies from there. Um, some of them only respawn if you cross over them again. So, like, if you're standing there and if you pass it, you're fine. But if you backtrack and go past it again... They'll come, they'll come out again? It'll, oh, it'll yeah. respawn if it's still glowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I found myself a little obsessive. <laughs> when I was playing it, because I was like, "Wait a minute, this thing's still glowing. There's more enemies to be to be had." I'm go for that 100. percent And I'll, I'll I'll like go far away from it, and then come all the way back just to see if something spawned again. But there is like a little sound that you hear um, when the enemy gets respawned. It almost sounds like um, I don't know what to compare it to. It was like it's almost like that sound in Defender when when a humanoid gets picked up by a lander, you mm-hmm. hear like a little, little tweety kind of a sound. Yeah. And that kind of tells you that, yeah, something just got respawned. Um, so your default weapon in the game is just this rifle. Um, it will overheat if you fire too rapidly. So the, the, your fire rate will drop. It'll like, you'll have to, you have to let it cool off for you to be able to fire again. Um, but there are a lot of power ups you can pick up. Um, there's things that will convert your weapon into a, like a laser or a flamethrower or like a missile launcher, that kind of stuff. Typical things for these kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, those tend not to overheat for some reason. Those you can keep firing as much as you want. And there's even pickups that there's little power ups that will extend the life of that of those pickups. I mean, they're they're limited, so they'll, they'll run out once you've fired enough. Um, but if you can if you can kind of chain those those um, power ups together, you can keep using that weapon um, for a while. Um, there's other collectible objects. Uh, obviously, I mean, pretty much the goal of each level is to find all the marbles that are scattered throughout the level. <laughs> so you have a counter in the corner that's like red, green, and blue marbles, and you have to. And these are some pretty big marbles. <laughs> they're large size marbles the yeah. size of his head I believe right? uh-huh. yeah uh, <laughs> they kind of look like those cat's eye type yes, of marbles I had those yeah. I used to have a whole bag of those mm-hmm. so it's very obvious what color you're looking for um, and you know they're scattered throughout there are sometimes special marbles that will give you like a big batch of, you know like let's say you have 10 left but you find this one big marble it'll it'll fill you know it'll top off the, the rest of it um, some levels seem to have more marbles than they need to finish them. Like as, as soon as you, as soon as your counter goes to zero on all those colors, the exit will open up and you'll be able to leave the level. Um, and you don't necessarily have to kill everything in it or pick up everything. It just, you just have to meet that marble requirement. Mm-hmm. So you could leave early if you want, but I tend to, to scout around. Did and it try give to find you everything. like percentages, stats on how you did? Like your hit ratio and enemy kill ratio? Um, well, at the end of each level, you get a tally of, of um, how many coins you've collected, because marble uh, enemies will drop coins when you defeat them. Hmm. And of course, if you get 100 coins, you get an extra life. Okay. <laughs> so you get a count at the end of the level of how many coins you collected, um, how many you get bonus points for how many lives you have left, and also how many enemies you defeated. And all that stuff gets added to your score. So that's really 
kind of your motivation to keep blasting everything in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of, there are some levels where you have some platforms that look like they might be too high to jump to or that are difficult to reach, but eventually you kind of find a different path and you get to revisit it from like a different angle. So eventually you can clear out some stuff like this one tree in the in like early on that seemed impossible to reach. Like, even though there was, um, there's like little trampoline type things that will like fling you up into the air and boost your jump. But even with that, I wasn't able to reach it until I was able to find like a different path to get up there. Um, so in the first stage, the big boss fight that you get to at the end, of course, is a boss at the end of the level. Um, it's like a giant mechanical owl. <laughs> So naturally, what else would you find in a forest, right? Is that uh, from the Titan? It looks just like movie? Clash of the Titans, yeah, yeah, yeah. that 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 owl they had in there, but just giant sized. Okay. So imagine it like the size of a car, you know, and that's kind of kind of what you have to fight to get through that. Um, it was a pretty fu- easy fight, simple move patterns, so that's not much to deal with. Um, the second level was called is just titled the Rocks and Stuff. Rocks? Like, rocks. Okay, rocks. So it's like in an underground mine. Um, You know, obviously a subterranean type of theme. Uh, Here, so here you start to see some of the different, like, robot designs. These these are more geared towards mining and drilling and so on. So you have, like, you know, one type is, like, just like a spinning top that goes back and forth. But he's got, like, a drill bit for, like, um, you know, instead of feet. Um, or you might have some kind of tanks that are like, you know, that also have like drills and these mechanical bats too. Um, there's also some underwater sections in this stage that are pretty, you know, pretty easy. I mean, a lot of times these underwater sections, I know you, you've mentioned before how much you hate underwater. (laughs) Such as me. I don't think anyone likes that. Uh huh. Well, depends. Um, you know, the enemies are slow too. So the whole thing is kind of slowed down a bit. Do you have to worry about oxygen? Uh, no. Oh, okay, I'm good. so surprised. Oh, that's usually where the annoyance comes in. Yeah, no. I was surprised by that. I thought, um, you know, you would have to worry, you know, you would have to resurface one of your now and then, but it doesn't seem to be a problem here. Um, obviously, you've got homing torpedoes and mines and, um, you know, things like that. Um, there's other sections that have, like, pools of molten lava to avoid. Uh, and giant drills that drop down from the ceiling that you have to like time your you know your movement through. Now I did get lost on this stage a bit. Um, you know after clearing out most of the section, there was one stage where the counter still showed that I needed like thirty two marbles, and I'm like, wow, I haven't. I mean, this stage is completely empty. I've destroyed everything in this thing. Hmm. I don't know where these marbles are supposed to come from, but apparently there was like a button that I was supposed to press. There was like a like, there were sections of the mine that were, like, gated by lasers, and you had to find, like, certain keys to open up that, that area. And apparently it was, like, a button near one of them that I just missed. I didn't realize. Um, uh, so, I guess there were some areas, obviously, since it's underground, <laughs> predictably, there are some areas where you have to use your, your rifle to, like, blast through sections of, of rocks and dirt and stuff to clear through. Um... And, of course, there was, like, an area where you have to avoid rocks that are chasing you. You have to, like, run down a path, and there's, like, rocks, uh, big, you know, like, boulders chasing you down. 
Um, the boss here is like some kind of steampunk contraption. I don't know what that was supposed to be based on. Um, but it's, you know, typical kind of a fight, you know, it's throwing like, you know, other enemies at you while you're trying to shoot at it. Um, but not much of a challenge there. Uh, the next one is in this area that's kind of looks like an industrial sort of futuristic laboratory type of setting. Turns out this is the tin head factory. This is where, you know, <laughs> this is where they make all those tin heads. Huh? Exactly. This is where Dr. Destiny cranks out his, uh, robot army, um, uh, this one is, you know, the subtitle here was Sparks Are Flying. Um, so there's a lot of electrical traps, and the objects that are scattered throughout here are like transistors and floppy disks and ROM chips and copper top batteries, things like that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you even see miniature uh, Competition Pro joysticks. These were very common in the Amiga scene. This was like a large red ball top mm. joystick with the two large buttons on on the corners. Um, uh, a lot of the robot enemies are electrified in some way, and there's even like this ED two hundred nine type of of robot that's like stomping around. That takes that takes a ton of hits to, to kill if you've only got your default rifle. Um, so you definitely want to have some kind of power up if you run into one of these. They're much easier to destroy when, when you've got, like, a laser rifle, for example. Um, there's even these emitters that, that drop these little homing missile-type things. Um, the saucer... They're like saucer discs, and they they vaguely look like Robocop's visor. I don't know why. Yeah, they do look like that. You showed me those. I showed you an example of they one do. of those. And just imagine, like, well, just a swarm of, like, yeah. five Robocop heads flying at you. Well, I mean, considering the whole ED, you know... Mm-hmm. Uh, reference from the original Robocop. It yeah. makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. They're definitely copying a lot of things, you know. And like, like you said, from Contra. I mean, the whole first stage, it looks, it looks like a, a mashup between Contra and Ghouls and Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Like that whole graphic style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in this particular stage, though, the, the, the end boss was like this thing that looked like the Legion of Doom headquarters from Super Friends. Mm. So it was this giant like head Vader mask yeah. yeah kind of um it's like flying around and firing lasers at you and it's dropping more of those like robocop heads at you and <laughs> this one was kind of uh the first challenging boss i i think i mean it wasn't that bad once you kind of got the pattern like any of these fights but it was the first one that was kind of mixing things up a bit and uh, the last one was uh, Destiny Castle. Of course, your showdown with um, the main villain of the game. Uh, it's a medieval castle, but all the enemies are still robotic. <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he's a kid. You know, you don't want a kid killing mm-hmm. like real people. Perhaps. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, you know, this. I think this game was kind of. Uh, pro- it looks like it was produced in England. Uh, mm-hmm. It just has that vibe. Um, it does look like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it had maybe slightly different sensibility sensibilities to it. It's a little Bart Simpson-esque. Uh-huh. Like Dennis the Menace meets Bart Simpson. <laughs> kind of, sure. I'm sure all those things came <laughs> are mixed in there. Uh, so the enemies in this castle are like hovering knights with lances and, you know, a sword and shield type of armored suit. 
Um, there's even these these wizards. There's like teleporting robo wizards. Mm-hmm. You, you have to watch out for. And they shoot like these, like almost like these homing um, little like beams of energy at you. Um, there's even rats in the castle, and they're robotic too. So that should be a, you know no surprise. Uh, you have to remember to duck when you're shooting to to kill those because they're you know low to the ground. The most annoying enemy here were these bats that follow your move practically and will hover just above your you know your shooting range, and you have to shoot diagonally to get them. Um, otherwise, they hit you with this like sonic attack. It looks like you, these like circular Sonar beams kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, it seems like that's what they attack with. Um, but in general, this this level was um, a lot of the different levels here kind of mixed it up a bit. They weren't just like you know like the, the previous levels. It was more like you know there's just more and more levels of kind of the same design. But this one they they sort of mixed it up. For example, like one of the levels, it was all just like it was almost like one big bonus stage where there was really no challenge. It was really just to kind of power you up and bulk you up for the stage that was coming up after it. Mm-hmm. So it was all like, it was all just pretty much a free-for-all. You, you know, you, you were able to get at least three or four lives out of this one. So that kind of was like a signal that there was trouble ahead. <laughs> um, so initially, like the, the, the level that followed it, it's, it's like one big hazard course, right? Where... Um, there were just like, uh, spiked pits everywhere and like swing, swinging platforms that you had to kind of time. Now, is it one hit kill or do you have a lifeline? Uh, no, no, it's all one hit kill. Yeah. So you don't want to get hit. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you fall into the pit, definitely you get, you get killed by these spikes instantly. Mm. Um, initially there's no enemies at all. You just have to sort of make your way through the swinging platforms um, but once you hit a certain point, then it kind of triggers, basically you get a key and you go to what looks like the exit, but all the key does is it unlocks all the enemies in the stage. And then you have to kind of backtrack through it to get the remaining keys. Um, and, uh, eventually, you know, it's like pretty challenging overall. Um, but once you get to like, sort of like this, um, other stage, which looks like it's going to be a boss encounter cause it's like a giant gyrocopter. That's flying around, and um, did they have gyrocopters in 1994? Uh, sure, why not? Okay, <laughs> is that is that is that an advanced invention? Well, we had hoverboards, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Depends who you ask. <laughs> uh, so this looks like it's a boss fight, but I don't know. It, it wasn't. It was pretty easy. I mean, it wasn't particularly challenging i mean all because really he was facing to the left and once i was able to like run around behind him especially like near the exit i could just fire from behind and he wouldn't turn around he would just kind of try to fly towards me but he couldn't turn around to shoot at me so it was very easy to defeat him and um after i exited that level it turns out like that was the final boss i was given like a game over screen and like Hmm. a, a passcode if i wanted to like you know i guess reload the game or something um, and that was kind of it. It was like very sort of sudden. It was a very hmm. sudden ending. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have expected too much. Okay. Um, but I thought like there would have so been get a pass- more build up. Password though. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me some kind of passcode. Okay. I think cause there was no save system in this game. There's just like, um, like if you quit out of the game at any stage, it'll give you like a passcode so, hmm. so you can sort of resume it. Um, but I think you still have to start at the beginning of that world. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I should try to enter it just to see what it does for me. But I don't think it would do much. 
Um, so then the credits roll, and the only notable thing about the credits were there was kind of like what looked like kind of a risque in-joke in the credits. Um, so because this game is called Rough and Tumble in the Fantasy World, that's kind of like the extended title of this, um, there's like a disclaimer in the credits that say, this game is in no way connected with the product Rub and Tug in the Fantasy Sauna, being developed by Mr. Ed Riley. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> where did this come what? from? <laughs> That's bizarre. Did you look that up and see what that is? I tried finding out who Ed Riley was, uh-huh. and I just couldn't find any connection huh. to this company or this game bizarre. in any way. So I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, we're going to have to find out. But that's like a bit of an Easter egg, I guess. Maybe. Hmm. But it's in the credits, though, right? Yeah, it's in the end credits. Hmm. So, overall, I would say this game is definitely worth checking out if you like this style of game, if you like any kind of action run-and-gun platformer. Um, This is well-known to anyone in the Amiga community. Apparently, this is a fan favorite. Supposedly, yeah. But because it didn't get ported to any other system, it might not be that well-known. Yeah, especially in the States. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, It reminded me a little bit of... You know, like the games we talked about, but the first thing that hit me was Global Gladiators. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, just, I don't know, maybe the way the character was shooting and stuff, but I kind of got that vibe. And I don't know if it looked as good as that, but uh, I don't know. It looked like maybe it's something I'd want to mess around with. Mm-hmm. Um, good news for anyone listening today. You could play Rough and Tumble on any PC or Mac. There's a Flash-based... Uh, Trend, uh, mashup of this game. Mm. It's called Rough and Tumble Mashup. So you can, as long as your computer has like Flash enabled, you can play this right on your browser. Really? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll include so I'll the link. post. Yeah, I'll post the link for that. We'll try it out. And, See if uh, that you works. Can just use your keyboard control. You know, controller or <clears throat> you have a joystick or something. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go through the whole emulator nonsense. I did also see that there's somebody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I did see that somebody. Um, you know, did port this game to the CD32 also. Yes, if anybody happens to have it, you can see the CD32 console. It wasn't an official release for the CD32, but that's what some people do is they'll take, you know, Amiga games that weren't released and then somehow create like a disc version that can be booted on the CD32, um, which was, you know, a consoleized version of the Amiga, basically. Uh, it was basically an Amiga 1200. Yeah. I was going to say, the, the CD32, because that was mainly as a console, mm-hmm. was, was it its own library of games? Or, yeah. And they were basically the same games, but just kind of like the 5200 versus the Atari 800, sort of? Kind of. Yeah, you like They're basically the same games, just like tweaked a little bit for console use. Yeah, just with CD audio added in some cases. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah, know, just an attempt to sort of tap into the console market, take some of those games and make them easy and accessible. I think it did well, right? Um, not particularly. I mean, I don't think it was... The CD32 was not, I think, officially released in the U.S. I think it was released in Canada. So huh. really, any NTSC uh, CD32 consoles mm-hmm. out there are probably Canadian in origin. Do you have one? I do have one. <laughs> um, that's not one of my three, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that would be a fourth one. There were even kits to convert a CD32 into an Amiga 1200 Based, you know, like equivalent Mm -hmm. computer. Um, Those are kind of rare and expensive, though. Uh, It's not the best way to get 
one of those if that's what your goal was. Do they have a CD drive for the Amiga? Um, there was support. Okay. Eventually, um, I mean, there was actually a there was actually another machine called the the Commodore CD TV that predated the CD32 even. So that was like another that was almost like a CDI kind of thing, Hmm. but based on the Amiga chipset. Um, yeah, I never got one of those. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that there is ways to do that. Now you mentioned Amiga emulation. Yeah. That's not so easy for some people. Um, I mean, obviously like many of these systems, you have to get the ROMs, Mm -hmm. which, uh, there is like, there is like a legal sort of method of doing that. There's like a project called Amiga forever. Um, which there's a company that, that owns the rights to the, the property to the, you know, to the OS and so on. So if you want to buy a legal one, you can buy Amiga forever and they give you a copy of the ROMs and so on. And I think, and probably an emulator too. Um, but Amiga was weird cause you, you had, you had the ROMs, which were called kickstart. Um, and then you had the OS, which was called workbench. So you have to kind of hmm. pair those up and run them together. Um, initially, uh, kickstart was on floppy. The earliest, the earliest models of the Amiga did not have it built in ROM. Actually, it was not a ROM chip built into the machine. So you actually had to boot the machine on floppy first that loaded the BIOS and ROM equivalent. And then you loaded the OS on top of that. Yeah, but definitely worth checking out. If you are a fan (laughs) of 16 bit games, (laughs) get your seal of approval. I, I strongly recommend it. How about you? Anything on your gaming agenda? Uh, but working on some things. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been busy. Uh, I'll tell you something that came out this week. Okay. Cubert uh, Reloaded on iOS. Again? On iOS this time. Oh, it's a new a release long on awaited, iOS. Hmm. Long-awaited release on iOS. Okay. Uh, I guess to time it with the whole Pixels movie, since Cubert mm. is kind of a main character in that film. Okay. Um, you played the game on PS4, right? Right. So I talked about it not too long ago on the mm-hmm. PS4. So I will spare everyone my review because the game is a steaming pile of shit. And uh, I would say if you really want to know what I think about it in detail, you can go to iTunes because I have a review posted mm-hmm. and you will see my one star review there and uh, you can learn all about it. But uh, the game is free, so uh, you can always just try cubert on your own and give your own opinions mm-hmm. some people seem to like it so who knows but uh, i'm not gonna be talking about that game today <laughs> i will talk about some other cubert games instead since i was on, i was on a cubert kick okay um unfortunately i don't i had trouble like tracking down cubert type games there's w- another version on ios that i think it does a better job at, at the cubert style it's called down the mountain mm-hmm. it's fairly new i think it came out last month it's from a company called Umbrella Games. Uh, it's also a free game, ad-supported. I don't know if you've seen it or not or heard any buzz about it. It's, uh, I would say, it's kind of a cubert style version of the game Crossy Road, which is something we hmm. talked about recently. Crossy Road's also kind of like that, um, how would you say, it's like the voxel kind of look. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it's got sort of that isometric, uh, yeah, like yeah. blocky sort of mm-hmm. look to it. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going, like the description is, you're going down a mountain, but it's done Cubert style. So it's cube by cube in that kind of pyramid shape. Mm-hmm. So but, but it's an endless hopper, I guess you could say. 
<laughs> All right. That, that's a genre that hasn't been explored yet. Right, right, right. It's, it seems like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just move left and right, unlike Hubert, which you can also go up as well. Mm-hmm. So this is just down only. Um, because you can only go down, it, it presents some interesting challenges. So every move you make is very permanent. Mm-hmm. And um, because you can only basically choose left or right, you know, you sort of have to decide quickly. Because the screen is constantly scrolling. You know, you have like a time limit of how long. You can't just sit on a cube the whole time. So, um, and that's kind of my, my complaint with this game. You have a lot of obstacles in your way as you're moving down this mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they give you like little goals to hit. Like, you know, hop on the water block like 10 times. Or, you know, collect 10 vials or something like that. All these like little tasks. And every time you get one, you know, it crosses one off the list. But um, to get like a high score, it's very difficult. Um, just to name some things that you run into along the way, you have um, spikes that that can shoot out of some of the blocks. You have trees that will block your direction. So if you've landed on a cube and there's a tree on the next cube below you, you can't go in that direction. You have to go in the other direction. Um, you have some blocks which will reverse your jump. So when you land on it, left means right, right means left. Oh yikes. You have blocks that are sticky. There's, like, peanut butter jelly sandwiches. <laughs> so when you land on it, you have to, like, tap a couple of times in order to jump off it. Uh-huh. You have blocks that are uh, explosive that kill you. You have water slide blocks, which will take you down several blocks, um, and you lose control of your character. There are insta-death uh, lava blocks mm. that will just melt you. There are broken ones, which, when you land on it, you just fall right through it. And then there are some which crumble, uh, so if you land on it, you have like a two-second delay before you fall, fall through it, so you can't really linger. And then there are some poisonous blocks, which, um, if you find one, you have basically like five or six jumps before you have to find a cure, mm. otherwise you die. And I usually, see. like, usually the vial will be somewhere, and you have to, like, immediately go in that direction and try to find it, mm. which is, it's, it sounds like maybe easier than it is. I found it to be very difficult. And that's kind of it. There's one power-up, which is like a shield you can get. Mm-hmm. And that'll shield you for, you know, a couple of seconds from, um, you know, spikes and other things. Now, is is this, like, kind of turn-based? I mean, do you, can you decide when you move? or like, It's all real-time. So, uh, but is it, like, um, is it constantly scrolling or anything? Are you forced it's, it's, to move, you, it move does, forward? It does, but it's very slow. Like, how like Crossy Road is, like, mm-hmm. you kind of take your time a little bit. But you can't, like, sit there and say, okay, what's my next move? You have, like, I would say maybe, like, five seconds to design. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, because in Crossy Road, if you stand still too long, like, a, like an eagle will swoop in and carry you away. Yeah, I never noticed it. You know, as you're standing, I, I believe as you're standing there, the blocks behind you start disappearing. Mm-hmm. So that's how, that's kind of like how they do it. So you can't linger too long. But you really don't have a chance because as you, as soon as you get about ten, ten hops down... That's when you start running into obstacles, and almost every single cube is an obstacle at some point. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's also like other things flying, like birds will fly by you, but they don't do any harm, but they kind of distract you from the action. So and that's kind of it. It sounds kind of simple, but mm-hmm. um, I know I found like the difficulty to be a little bit too much. Mm, yeah, it sounds like a lot of complexity to it. Like I, yeah, a lot of the times I feel like I'm just as soon as I'm starting, I'm dying. Like within, you know. Maybe 30 points in, mm-hmm. 40 points in. Okay. But if you like Hubert and you want an alternative to that game, give it a shot. Um, 
playing that, I was thinking, like, what are some good Cuber games? Mm-hmm. You know, because like you said, you know, the the Endless Hopper, you know, like, <laughs> it's a genre, untapped genre. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking, like, that's kind of true. Like, what other, I mean, Cubert had their its own, even Cubert, like, it's been around a long time, and they had, you know, the sequel in the arcade, and then they had Cubert 3 on Super NES, which I still think is one of the best Cubert games. Um... You know, they had an iOS version a couple of years ago, which was okay. Mm. They had the 3D version, I think, on PlayStation, which was okay. But, um, I don't know. What are some other versions? Uh, I thought of Topper. That was a game uh, by Romox on the Atari 800. Hmm. Do you remember that one? I don't think I remember that one too well. Maybe if I saw it. Uh, you I... were like this turtle, like this turtle on, on that walked on two legs. Uh-huh. And you had to hop on these, like, platforms. And um, you had to basically, you know, color the platforms. And they would disappear. They would, like, kind of vanish in and out. And then at later stages of the, the platforms would... Um, I think there would be more uh, different shapes. I think they would kind of, like, disappear quicker. And you would have, like, other enemies on the screen hopping, too. I haven't played it since the 80s, but... Mm. I was just looking at some YouTube videos about it. But yeah. it's something that I played a lot when I had an Atari 800. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also Frostbite on the Atari 2600. That was that Steve Cartwright game. Um, that was sort of Cubert esque I guess, because you're hopping on platforms, and you had to, I guess, collect the... If I remember correctly, you had to, like, collect the cubes and then go to the top of the screen to build your igloo, right? Mm. Frostbite. Yeah, actually, that's... Um, I don't remember that one too well, but yeah, I know you mentioned it. And, um, on the Google Play Store, there's a game called DJ Bird, all one word, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, I guess like a Cuber clone. And then on iOS, there's also a game called Jump Mania. There's actually two versions of it, which are basically identical games. Mm -hmm. And that's also like a, and then that is, it's funny, it's like such a clone of Cubert, but it substitutes the characters. So like your main character is a cat, I think in, in one of them. But it's still like cubes, and the cubes are kind of decorated like kind of very generic flash game kind of looking stuff. Mm-hmm. But Coily's in the game for some reason. <laughs> you have a purple snake that chases you, that, that bounces on the cubes, uh-huh. and it has the um, the Cubert discs on the side of the screen. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty close. It's just it's not. I, don't, I didn't think it was a great game, and it's very um, it's it's very typical of like why people don't like mobile games. You know, it's got the timer, and um, it looks like a a kind of a poorly programmed flash game, but but it's a Cuber clone, and there's not many of them. Right. And that's it. I couldn't think of anything else. I don't know if anyone knows of some Cuber style games out there. Like, mm-hmm. share them because I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure there are a few. Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like there are a few more on the Atari 8-bit line that I don't, can't think of at the moment. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that, too. I'm like, I feel like there's at least one more that I'm, I'm not... Uh, I mean, definitely, I think Rainbow Walker comes to mind, too. Oh, okay. I don't think I know that one. Yeah, it was like, kind of like, um, there's this, uh, there was some hopping and color, <laughs> color <laughs> turning, changing, yeah. and, and, you know, some, some of that kind of stuff going on there, but I'd have to play it again to really see if it fits the bill. Um, yeah, so yeah, let's see what see what other people come up with. Yeah, I wonder if Cubert will get a resurgence. <laughs> I mean, he was in Wreck-It Ralph, it's and true. I thought maybe that, that would be kind of where you would see Cubert make a comeback or something, but no. 
And now he's in this other movie. Right. And I still don't think he's going to get right. any type of resurgence at all. Mm-hmm. But will you see Q-Bird in Smash Brothers? Uh, seems like he would be a maybe? pretty good character to shoot like balls out of his nose and <laughs> kind, of, kind of do that kick with his legs. Does like he, a double does kick. he do that? Yeah. Like, hop on people's heads. Uh-huh. Well, the whole thing with Smash Brothers is you're trying to knock people off the off the ledge, right? Mm-hmm. So, Qbert's got that... He's got, like, a save maneuver built right in, because the disc will be right there. That's right. Yeah. If he gets knocked off, he'll just take the, the disc, disc back up out, to the top. Yeah. yeah. So, maybe. Seems like a natural character to fit in. Mm-hmm. Great. He'll be, he'll be good on defense, because, you know, <laughs> he's got a good recovery. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe. Well, maybe we'll see that. Who knows? I welcome that. I welcome that change. Mm-hmm. No, I don't play Smash Brothers. Right. But if it means a Q-Bird Amiibo will come out, then I'll probably go in on that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I can see that's an insta-buy for you. <laughs> so does that mean you're going to get into what you've possibly been shopping for this week? It's funny. I, I, this one, I wasn't going to talk about this, but then I thought maybe people could use this. It's, I bought this on an impulse. It was a uh, cell phone stand. Uh-huh. <laughs> For your typical, like, iPhone or, you know, I'm not talking about, like, the big, you know, tablet-type phones, just like the regular traditional phone. It was in a Best Buy, um, what do you call those things? Those candy machines that you put, like, two quarters in and turn the handle? (laughs) Like, a little plastic bubble comes out? So I always I always look at those. It's kind of like the kid in me, you know. Every time I go uh-huh. to the store, I'm like, You're looking for mm, hidden I treasure. wonder what's in these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this Best Buy had these like little cell phone stands, and I'm like, all right, fifty cents. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take a chance. I'm just curious what it is. Uh, so I grab one of them, and uh, it's just like a little piece of plastic that unfolds into an L shape, you know, and it's really not that practical for a phone because if you stand your phone up in portrait mode it just tips over but on landscape it works pretty good it's like pretty solid made mm-hmm. it's not like cheap plastic at least it doesn't feel that cheap and it comes in an assortment of colors but then i thought well rather than use it for phone i could see it for a much more practical use which is well, i don't know about practical but um i immediately thought of a stand for game and watches mm-hmm it's like really perfect for it. It's it's got a very low profile, um, like the lip in the front. You can barely see it, but it's still like it sticks out enough to hold you know a phone, like a heavy phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's cheap, fifty cents. You can buy you know twenty of these things, and you know you have stands for your game and watch collection or any type of you know handheld. Maybe even the tiger. I don't know if the tigers would hold because they're kind of tall, but um, I don't know. I just thought that might be good if if you're the type, you know, who has a collection, you want to display them, like check check your Best Buys for mm-hmm. these like little phone stands. <laughs> this sounds like a good idea, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Not bad. 50 cents. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Uh-huh. Sure. Awesome. Yeah, that was a, not, not a great pickup, but... Yeah. Kind of flat. Like I said, I wasn't going to talk about it until I thought about a possible use for it, and I'm like, yeah, maybe other people will find it that mm. useful for their... Because I know, our, you know, one of our friends, he, he buys these stands. And, you know, I think they're only like a dollar or two, but, um, you yeah, know, if you could save a little bit of money, you know, mm-hmm. why not? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so what do we got next? So, news this week. Mm, all right. Uh, unless you have some interesting pickups that you like to share. Nope. Nothing, no, on, my, nothing. nothing on my end. Okay, for a change. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you gotta pay some of those bills off. <laughs> yeah, really. 
Um, but yeah, there's some a couple of news items this week. Yeah, so I guess it's been confirmed, right? That- yeah, well, this is to follow up on last week's conversation I had about my Ouya. Uh-huh. And I, I quickly, briefly mentioned about, you know, Razor possibly buying out Ouya. Right. We didn't have confirmation of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess today, you know, it, we kind of broke the news. They broke the news about it. Right. Yeah, so apparently Razor is basically acquiring, um, you know, I guess the Ouya brand, the Ouya software. Um, I guess they're going to incorporate it into their line of, of, um, I guess what their current micro console is called the forge TV. Yes. I guess that's what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Ford that's, yeah, they, they said they're going to continue the Ouya system for at least another year, but you know, they're going to want to transition everyone over to the forge TV. Mm. Yeah. So that's, I guess pretty firmly calling an end to the current uh-huh. generation of... So they acquired of, the rights to the Ouya name. Right. And the, um, I guess the software patents, like whatever their software operating system, mm-hmm. and the game lineup. Right. So the actual hardware and controllers, they don't, they didn't buy the rights to. So those will be probably just disappearing, whatever's Yeah, the actual, there. the actual hardware design, I guess, uh-huh. is not what's going to continue. They're not interested in that. Um... But they are they are going to carry forward like existing accounts, I think. Uh huh. So I think that's, that's what it seems like that's their important goal. Important to note is they're going to keep alive the current user base and uh, give them a sort of um, an upgrade path, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's kind of good news for the platform in some way. I mean, uh, anyone who's already bought into it. I guess they, they, you know, they probably enjoyed a bit, mm-hmm. um, but it was getting a little long in the tooth in terms of hardware. Yeah. Um, some of the more recent Android games probably weren't going to run that yeah, well. Yeah. That's been a big problem with a lot of developers was their games aren't able to run it. The, the Ouya hardware is like three or four years old now. Mm-hmm. I mean, certain games, I guess certain types of games, I guess might still be valid, but mm-hmm. you know, if they're pushing the boundaries, trying to take advantage of of um you know newer techniques and i mean obviously much you know much like any other technology um you know things get better and cheaper so you know as handsets get more powerful you know you see a lot of these games they're built to take advantage of that and um for a system like this that was manufactured what like almost three years ago yeah um 2012 was a kickstarter 2013 was when they shipped out to backers mm-hmm. and then it hit retail later that year right yeah so but the chip is much older the chip is already out i think a year before that mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i guess um they, they also mentioned like they're going to be um you know they're going to be some of the recent pushes into China, into the Chinese market. Yeah, which is what Ouya was starting to do, or mm-hmm. have been doing. They've been working with developers to get their games uh, translated over to mm-hmm. the Chinese market. Right, so they're going to continue to support that. Yeah, definitely. And um, they're going to be merging... They're going to be basically merging everything into their um, kind of, I guess, ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And also, they want to integrate it into the Google Play Store. Right, which I think is interesting. It's, a, yeah. it's an interesting move, because the whole purpose of the Ouya Marketplace was like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're, we're not in play because we want to make sure that these games are supported on our hardware. 
So I wonder if that means, you know, more of like an open standard for game hardware for for Android. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, one of the good things about, one of the things I liked about Ouya, and people always like say, well, well, you can just hook up your phone. Like, what's the point of Ouya? You can just hook your phone up to your TV. Right. It's like, well, you're missing the point. Like, the point was the games on Ouya were made to work with like the Ouya controller. It was like a standard. Yeah, right. So when you played a game, you knew like your control, your controller was going to work your buttons were going to be mapped correctly mm-hmm. you know uh you know you didn't have to rely on a touch screen everything would just worked yeah i mean this is and, probably something that google could have done uh-huh. if they wanted to sort of enable this creation of of this kind of thing where it's like a micro console designed to be hooked up to a tv rather than you know a touch tab you know like a tablet device or a phone or something like that so yeah, I mean, if they wanted to allow for that level of flexibility, then that would have been something that they could have provided. But since they didn't, something like this was necessary. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I like to see this market is—it's still growing. This whole like uh, micro console, like Android TV market, mm-hmm. and um, even though I don't like to see where you go because you know I felt like there's a lot of potential there. I like that these companies are going to start condensing maybe and getting bought out and you know kind of converging a bit. Because, I mean, you have the two biggest manufacturers, Apple and Google, and neither of them can get this console thing going. Right. Apple hasn't even attempted it. And Google's just, like, failed, even with their last release, which I thought was going to be, you know, this is it. Google's in the market now for game consoles. But mm-hmm. they, they really screwed it up big time. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, one of the things that I read, which I thought was kind of funny, is the Ouya store will be relaunched as Cortex for Android TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I can't, to me, I can't think of any worse of a word of, than Cortex. Like, mm. when I see that, I think Cotex, which, I mean, maybe <laughs> it's from, like, a female point, point of view, but, you know, that's like a, you know, feminine that is, product. <laughs> that's one possible I can't, I can't get that out of my mind when I see Cortex. I'm like, yeah, well, it's like, I don't know why they <laughs> went with that. That's with a terrible that name. name. I don't know. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't just. I, I'm not too to big on the, the Razor Forge either. I don't think mm. that's a great name, but yeah. Honestly, though, the other thing that comes to mind is what happened with this Ouya Everywhere initiative that they had. For they a didn't while. mention that in the press release. Yeah, because they were originally talking about how they want to extend the Ouya Store to other Android devices, and I think uh, the Mad Cats uh, Mojo, the Mojo, yeah, the Mojo console, and the Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that called? Their their micro console in right. Asia works on that. Yeah, so they were. I mean, they were one of those. That's what they were working on. The problem was it wasn't. They couldn't just say, "Oh, all our games will just automatically work." Mm-hmm. They had to, I guess, the um, APIs or SDKs, whatever, had to be kind of altered a little bit to work on those certain machines. Right. So you had to put that in there that okay, this game will also like so like if you load up a controller for um, the Mojo. The game has to know, like, are you using a mojo? The controls are a little bit different. Hmm. And that's yeah. where the tricky part came in. I guess. I mean, there's always translation layers they could put in. To that, say. That's what they needed to do, but some yeah. of the programs, might, I guess, didn't want to deal with it. Hmm. Well, you'd have to actually own a mojo to be able to do that, to test it. And then if the programmers don't, then they're not going to bother making it for that platform. Mm-hmm. Unless they can get one for free, you know? Well, that's the trouble with a lot of these indie developers. Uh-huh. I mean, they're just coding to an API. They don't necessarily have the hardware to test all these configurations. I know, it's funny. And people are sometimes like, hey, why don't you just make your game on the Play Store? And then people are like, 
send me an Android device and I'll do it. You know, it's like, I don't <laughs> right. own one. So, uh-huh. you know, I don't have 400 to spend on a, on a new phone right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you're a more established developer, the people don't understand, like these aren't big companies making these indie games. <laughs> that was the whole point. They, of... they do these on the weekend or wherever they have time. Yeah. I mean, that was the point of we had to begin with. It was like, they wanted to sort of choose an open kind of thing that you didn't have to buy in with like an expensive dev kit from mm-hmm. you know uh, like if you're developing like a PlayStation game for example you have to have probably like a $10,000 development system to make your game for you know that used to be the case yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if it's so much anymore but right yeah and yeah the whole Ouya thing was $99 you have yourself a console and you can program on the console and and release the game through the console there's like there's no cost associated with it or anything mm mm-hmm. mhm self-publishing right but exciting times the internet disagreed (laughs) (laughs) um it also looks like uh julie ehrman the ceo of (laughs) of ouya was um you know she will not be joining she's been a a little controversial i guess at times yeah her management style was not if there's any reason why ouya probably didn't last as long as it did even though she brought it to the market and everything, and she made it what it was, she also kind of killed it on her own. Mm. She did not have the best public relations <laughs> in right. dealing with issues. Hmm. Interesting times. Yeah. So, but at least we have closure on this, I guess. Yeah, and the other the other thing is we we mentioned the Chinese market. Um, you know, it's obviously a huge market if you can tap into it. Um, and one of the reasons why it was important for them to get in there was because they weren't really going to have a lot of competition there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw also another item this week that suddenly China's lifting the ban on game consoles. They yep. used to used to not be a thing that you could buy. Over yeah, there. is that crazy? So um, suddenly that might become yeah. That's a why the mobile system. market was so big mm-hmm. over there because. But you know, are people ready to jump into consoles now? Because now they're so used to you know, the portable mobile market. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like countries like J- Japan, they're, they're getting away from consoles. Right. You know, for different various reasons. So China might be like, all right, who cares? You know, I'm happy with our <laughs> mm-hmm. phones and tablets. We'll see. We'll see. There was a, I mean, there was a black market over there for, for being right. able to buy those things, but just unofficially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's true. Yep. But yeah, I guess we can talk about another thing that was happening this week. Yeah. We got another announcement of um, Nintendo shutting down their TV service. Yeah. <laughs> TV. I have to add a lot of eyes to that. Um, so I don't know how popular this thing was. I don't know if anybody was really buying a Wii U it's to be It's funny. Able to... that, that was one of the selling points for me on the Wii U mm-hmm. when I first saw that E3 you know, demonstration for it. That was like the thing. I was like, oh, wow, this is like a really cool feature. That's what I thought of back then. And then it never came out, you know, or was delayed. It did come out, but Mm -hmm. it was not at launch like they originally promised. Uh, And it ended up, I guess, not being what as good or I don't know. I I didn't have, I don't have a Wii U, so I never tested it, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they said uh, as of uh, October 11th, Nintendo TV will be uh, no longer accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a system update that will remove the icon from the menu. That's crazy. It's just going to be removed. And uh, there was even a dedicated button on the Nintendo gamepad mm-hmm. for TV. Oh, wow. 
Um, but I don't know what that button's going to do going forward. It's going to be just like an appendix. It's going to be left over. I guess over. so, right? Now, that's, it's interesting that they're doing this because the, the I don't know, like, I'm not sure. Is, does it use their bandwidth? Like, I mean, the Wii U is still their main console. Like, why mm-hmm. are they already winding down and getting rid of features from it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess they said it's kind of run its course. And, um, you know, thanks for participating or whatever. support it anymore. And I guess it just, you know, I, I mean, what did it really do? I mean, it said like, it was kind of like a second screen app mm-hmm. that, you know, while you were watching a certain program, you would be able to, um, I don't know, search for other things related yeah. to what you were watching or you could, you know, you could browse the TV guide. So I guess that maybe they pay for that functionality. Maybe they have to pay like either TV guide or one of those other like Tribune or one of those other companies that provides TV data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess that's one thing that maybe they decided like a lot of people aren't using this and we're, we're paying for it and it's maybe of limited use. Sure. Um, they said that you'll still be able to, you know, watch other streaming options. You know, if you, if you watch Netflix or Hulu or Amazon video through, your Wii U, that'll still work or whatever. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe the Wii U Mini won't even have that. <laughs> you think there's going to be a Wii U Mini? That's interesting that you are even predicting that. <laughs> hmm. Too early for predictions. Maybe. Um. <laughs> uh, so in other Wii U news. Uh, Project Cars is officially... Speaking of things going away, yeah. Yeah, officially not coming out. Uh, This was a game that was originally planned way back. um, And it was a third-party title that a lot of people were still thinking was coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I guess there was an official sort of update from Bandai Namco that said, um, sorry, you know, we can't make the game good enough, basically, is what they were saying. Yeah, the the Wii U hardware just can't... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm sure somebody can make a high quality racing title if they wanted to. Yeah, but but, well, look at you know Super Mario Kart or whatever they call it, mm -hmm. or Kart Eight. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know because the game is multi-platform and it's already out on other systems. Yeah, it did come out on PS4 and and Steam and Xbox. Yeah, so I guess they feel like they can't they can't raise the Wii U version up to that level, Mm -hmm. and therefore they've decided to. You know, not come out with it at all. Yeah, they said they got it to run at thir- 23 frames per second at 720p. Mm. Um, I think the other thing that was kind of bizarre about their <laughs> their announcement, though, is that they're, 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 they're basically saying that they're waiting for Nintendo to announce new hardware before yeah. they announce <laughs> any new titles in this series. Because I think there's already talk about a sequel. Mm. Um so they're saying they abandoned. So basically they're saying, you know, if Nintendo comes out with a better system, we'll yeah. consider relaunching it. No surprise like, there. That's been the case but for that's, the last two generations. That's so far in the future. I don't know why uh-huh. you would even bring that up now. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm... Yeah. I think it's just strange to even make that reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but all right. I guess uh, that's not the only bad news this week. <laughs> In other wow, bad, I didn't know such a tragic week. In other bad news, we have um, uh, another this lawsuit. Is becoming very depressing. It's not all, you know. All right, I hope it gets better. Sunshine and flowers. Right, let's get out of the bad stuff first, and maybe it'll improve. 
Right, right. So, so Xbox 360 bad news. Um, apparently, there's a. Wait, dis- wait, wait, we're up to the Xbox One now. Well, 360 was. Some people can't let it go. All right. Um, there is uh, a new lawsuit being brought up uh, due to um, reports that the Xbox 360 would damage games, would damage discs. Uh, I guess they're claiming that. It was um, designed in such a way that if there were any stray vibrations or bumps to the system, that that the disc would would get scratched very easily during uh, during gameplay. While playing the Xbox 360 in your car, I've noticed the discs get <laughs> scratched very often. I never noticed that in your car. <laughs> it's amazing that you've been able to integrate it so well that I can't even I don't even see it. Yeah, that's what powers everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know heard of anything like this before. Microsoft is claiming that there were some disc scratch incidents, but you know, it only affected affected less than one percent of their customers, and even in those cases, it was really due to customer misuse. So Did they say what model of the Xbox 360? Because I owned the. The original mm-hmm. and the um, what was that second the uh, Jasper version and I never had any issues right. with this. Well, you this. you probably take care of your stuff better than a lot of people do. Yeah, but if it's something that's if it you know if you're, it's, it's something that happens internally though, it's not a matter of yeah. Well, they're claiming this is due to vibration. I mean, so I don't know if that means hmm. that somebody's jolting the console in some way while okay. it's on, or if that means just by normal operation, but even like, it could happen. I mean, the, the original PlayStation, I used to play on its side, upside down, and mm-hmm. never scratched any discs. Is This is just what they're saying. Strange, okay. Yeah, very peculiar, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've often heard that, that in some cases, like, if you played it with the system vertically, that it might be... More prone to scratch. Right, okay, so I never did that on the Xbox. Um, I always played it. But I don't know. I don't horizontal. know if that's. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Hmm. So yeah, more legal issues for Microsoft, I guess. Hmm. The uh, the case is proceeding for this particular issue. Um, I remember seeing an interview recently with the various heads of Xbox. You know, people that were involved in. And running Xbox operations, and they talked about the whole Red Ring um, issue. Um, and I think this was when Peter Moore was in charge of Xbox. He he talked about how he remembers having to go to Steve Ballmer, you know, CEO of Microsoft, and explain to him that we're going to have to take a big write-off on <laughs> the Xbox business because of this whole Red Ring issue. Yeah, we're going to have to pay for everyone to be able Yeesh. to ship their consoles back and get them refurbished and ship them back That's to them. Probably never good when you have to do stuff like that. Yeah, it was uh, like something like a $1.3 billion hit. Wow. And, you know, they said that Balmer agreed to it, you know, because he knew that the Xbox brand was worth even more than that. So even I they, had that issue on mine. Yeah? Yeah, it yeah. was three years old at that point, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I bought the game Sacred on, on Xbox, because it ran fine. I played, you know, lots of games. I got Sacred, and that's where I started noticing, like, it would, like, stop working sometimes. 
And then um, I think just that game, like, once I put it on and then it just, like, red-ringed. Mm-hmm. And then some other games still worked, but for some reason, like, Sacred kept doing that. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? It's probably on its way out. So I, I contacted... This was, like, three years later. I contacted Microsoft, and they were extending warranties. And they're like, you know, just... You know, we'll pay for shipping, just send it over, and we'll replace it for you. And they mm-hmm. did, 100%. Cool. Yeah. I ended up buying a new xbox anyway <laughs> and i sold off the one i fixed it's fine it's certified i couldn't i, I couldn't wait i wanted to play games yeah yeah i understand <laughs> <laughs> all right well let me ask you this how about um uh midway games are you a big fan of midway games in the 90s I like midway games i had all the collections on the playstation playstation mm-hmm. 2 all the midway collections Right. They have some good stuff. Yeah, so there's a documentary in the works now uh, that's meant to uh, cover Midway games in the 90s or, you know, basically the story behind the studio Mm. that produced all these games. Uh, It's called Insert Coin, Inside Midway's 90s Revolution. Okay. And this is a current Kickstarter that's uh, started up. Um... And they're going to be looking to interview a lot of the people that made these games, uh, including, you know, Eugene Jarvis, who was the creator of Robotron and did Midway games like Cruising USA and NARC. Um, John Tobias, who is uh, one of the minds behind Mortal Kombat. And, you know, Smash TV, among other things. Heard of those. Sure. (laughs) Other games include NBA Jam, NFL Blitz... Uh, Revolution X, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Ah. And Those are all 90s? Yeah. 90s games? Wow. Yeah, sure. And the WrestleMania game. Uh, you know, yeah. The, arca- the arcade game. Arcade one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, maybe as, uh, you know, not such a uh, hot topic for you. Um, what about that dinosaur one? Primal Rage. Did you say that one? Um, you mentioned that? Uh, I didn't see it specifically mentioned. Oh, Rampage World Tour. That mm-hmm. was an arc. That was arcade, right? World Tour. Sounds yeah, about that right. Was 90s. Yeah. All right, some good ones. Yeah. So it uh, looks like they have a seventy-five thousand dollars goal to be funded. Seventy-five thousand. That's their goal. That's pretty small. Uh, they've currently got thirty-eight thousand four hundred thirty-eight with twenty-one days to go. They've got six hundred and forty-four backers so far. So. Looks like they're making progress. Um, all right. Kind of interesting. $15 pledge is basically all you need to get a, a copy of the documentary upon release. They're looking for a May 2017 release. So, still going to be a ways off. About a year and a half to, to produce this, uh, you know, this particular project. All right. Um, $50 will get you a physical copy. Uh, and the top... Pledge is $5,000, which will give you a chance to be in the documentary. Doing what? Just You're going to be a, a, they're going to digitize you. <laughs> it's going to give you, not at all. Uh, it's going to give you just a chance to talk about your favorite Midway games on camera. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if any of this is appealing. Um, I'm going to, if I, that, that happens, I'm going to talk about Wacko. <laughs> I did not know that they own the rights to that now. Really? And they own Wizard of War, too. Uh-huh. Midway. These are, these are probably legacy titles. But I think they're looking to, to focus on the, the 90s era. Yeah, but if I pay $5,000... 
I think I should be able to talk about what I want. You, you, they may, you might talk about it, but it might end up on the, <laughs> might end up on the cutting room like, floor. Yeah, it's going to be like an extra uh-huh. on the DVD or something. Yeah, they say that there will be references to games of the 80s, but it's really, a, you know, they're, they're looking to produce, uh, you know, well, how, to how me, the 90s Well, their 90s library is not as important as... Mm-hmm. We're not important, but not as strong as... Cause, I, mean, I mean, they have some of the biggest games, Mortal Kombat, but there's like, you know, five Mortal Kombats. Right. Yeah, well... Probably. San Francisco Rush does like three of those, and uh-huh. NBA Jam... Yeah, so it's a decent catalog. Mm. Um, there might be some interesting stories there. I mean, usually uh, these type of documentaries, I'm more interested in the personalities and the sort of the stories that went yeah, into we, making we these met, games. Uh, one, at least one or t- maybe two of them at CGE last year. They did the whole Atari mm-hmm. um, presentation. Right. They were one of the guys on the panel. Yeah, there was a lot of crossover there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was interesting hearing some of the stories. What it was to work, especially at. Midway at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even if these aren't necessarily some of my favorite games, I'd still want yeah, to totally. hear this sort of first-hand account of what it was like making so games back then. can we put you down for 5000 Leon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Should that. Should I get your checkbook? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, uh... I don't know. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say... I'm going to give a hesitant sort of... I'll wait and see. <laughs> wait and see what? Just, wait until see it's, it's done, and then you'll wait and see it. Yeah, I'll just be one of the fifteen dollar people that buy the buy it when it comes out. Okay, fair it's enough. Good enough for me. I'm probably in the same boat. Mm-hmm. All right. So how about Retro City Rampage? Right, we've got many options for playing this game. If you don't already own it, well, if you do already own it, this is good news, okay. I guess, because there's going to be a new game coming out, a new version of it coming out for. Uh, DOS platforms mm-hmm. there's going to be a version called Retro City Rampage 486 and this is going to be made for you won't need Windows to run this it has to be the gateway computer and the cow print box right? only <laughs> it only works on those yeah so this is going to be basically a port of Retro City Rampage DX um, now the, did you see the system requirements for this? No, it's it's a well. I, I'm assuming a 4086 because it's in the title. Uh huh. So 386 is not going to cut it. Okay, so that wouldn't work for me because I had a 386. Uh huh. Um, you're going to need at least 3.7 megabytes of hard drive space. Do you think you can manage that? I can do that. Okay. All it's right. Not much. It's what three floppies. Mm hmm. I can just piggyback them. Okay. Um, and four megabytes of RAM. That's pretty hefty for the time, right? Well, you know, for 486, I think that for was appropriate. Mag- I think that's what I had in mind for. Mm-hmm. Alright. Yeah, so... I think that's like the Doom requirements. Well, no, Doom ran on a 386. Mm-hmm. This is, uh... I mean, this is, I, mean I, I can't imagine what motivates uh, um, this publisher to keep uh, putting out new yeah, versions of Yeah, they're really this milking this title, huh? Well... It's interesting because I mean they they had previously made the an NES port of their game. Yes, that's right. I forgot about uh, that. Rom City Rampage, which was uh, designed to run uh, natively did, on an NES. Did they release that on a cartridge? Uh, I don't know if it actually ever came out as mm-hmm. a manufactured cartridge. Um, but apparently that was a lot more challenging because of the limitations. Um, this one, I guess, it's a lot easier to make. A, a PC version of this title. 
since you've already got, I guess... Like uh, the, co- the X86 code, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, I think it would be not as big of a, a problem. Hmm. Um, but they're saying that anybody who currently bought the game on PC will be eligible to get a copy of this. So if you've already bought it on Steam or on GOG yeah. or the Humble Store or any of the other outlets that it was available through... Um, this will be a free download, basically. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, but it. But, well, if, but if you want the like the whole package and the actual floppy disk and right, then you have to buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I think so, and it's not. It, this won't extend to people who own a console port of it, basically. Which is, I think, me. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think. I have the PS4 version. Uh-huh. I think I just bought it recently. Really? On a sale? Yeah. Huh. I got it for. The only console version I have, I have it on Steam, but I also did buy that that, that Vita Special Edition on on a chip mm. version of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you try to show me that one. Physical, physical copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if anybody's clamoring for a floppy version of this game. Uh, my my whole question is, where are these sloppies coming from? Because as far as I know, they're not being manufactured anymore. No, they are not. But there are, I, I think there's still warehouses you know, liquidators who are sitting on boxes of these floppies. And you can so. buy them, like, 500 at a time. And they just can't guarantee you... I mean, they might be fresh in the package, but I don't think there's, like, a guarantee that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe 400 of the 500 will work, you know? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I wouldn't want that job to have to test, you know, the sectors on a floppy disk, mm-hmm. on 500 floppy disks. Right. Did they say how many they were making of this? I'm sure it's a limited... Um, No. I didn't see any number right. yet, and I don't see I don't see a release date either. But we just know that it's coming. And now, is this something interesting to you? Because to you me? are a PC gamer. <laughs> um, not particularly. I already uh-huh. have ways of playing this game, but if it didn't stop you from getting the, the PC collector's edition, I mean well, the, the Vita collector's edition. Well, that's that's different. <laughs> I just I don't have a machine that's running only DOS. Oh, okay. Um, but I know because kind of the fun would be to open this up and put it into a machine, right? Yeah, I mean if you were if you were like a vintage uh, PC player that likes keeping old machines around so you can play old games, mm-hmm. then I could guess I could see the appeal there. Um, but for me, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of a I'm really a modern PC owner in these days. So yeah, I'll just stick to the version I have. I guess. Yeah. But interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, now we saw kind of this um, announcement of a, of a Pac-Man competition this week, right? Yeah, it was Namco announced it on my Facebook mm-hmm. page that they're going to have a competition to get past level two hundred and fifty-six, which is the kill screen on Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it the original Pac-Man game it was not possible to clear a level 256 because uh, I don't know what it is. There's some kind of like the dots aren't on the screen or there's some kind of like hardware limitation that even if you get all the dots, it still won't. Well, basically half the screen would glitch, right? Yeah. And then it was impossible to complete the maze. There's not enough dots on the board yeah, for the maze to know that it's done and to go on to, go on to another stage. I uh-huh. just knocked over some things. So, um... What they're doing was this whole Twin Galaxy Live promotion was, you know, to get these four of the best Pac-Man players, mm-hmm. or whoever was available at the time, to come play this and play the, um, 
<laughs> Four of the best, or eh, whoever's available. Either one. Well, you know, these people have to go make the time out of their schedule to fly uh-huh. over. Sure. To, you know, not everyone can do that, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, Billy Mitchell was busy or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this was the... Uh, so this isn't the original Pac-Man game. This was the re-released version, which is actually a different ROM. It's on right. the championship... Not champion, um, the anniversary edition of uh-huh. Pac-Man. So the arcade version of this, I think, was released around 2000, 2002. And it has, uh, like, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man on it. Uh, maybe, like, Rally X or Galaga or something. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of select games you want to play. So this ROM of Pac-Man is a little different, and it allows you, um, in theory, I guess it's supposed to you allow you to go past the kill screen, mm. and this is what this was what the test was going to be, right? You know, who so can- I think the theory was that once you, they complete as much as they can of the maze, right? Yeah, like the good portion of it, uh huh, and then they get a few of the dots on the bad side of the maze. Yeah, I think it's like nine dots or something, right? And then and then they purposely lose a life so uh-huh. that the maze like will reset yeah and they'll be able to collect more dots as a result okay to like i guess increase their score or i don't know if it's to increase the dot count such that the maze will be considered complete Uh uh-huh and then the game will sort of continue beyond that um so yeah i guess that was the challenge yeah they're claiming that doing so will make you pass that level Mm -hmm. and go on to level 257 right so yeah I, i guess we watched a bit of it yeah, so uh, it was what live I streaming on. It was on, live streaming, from Twin and Galaxies. It, it ended up being a lot longer than uh-huh. I anticipated. Well, first I thought it started at five, but I didn't realize it was five Pacific time. <laughs> right. So that already screwed up my, my day. And then uh, what it turns out was the first hour was just them talking about what mm-hmm. they were going to do and kind of like building up to yeah. the actual event. And then the actual thing turned out to be. Number one, one of the guys wasn't playing Pac-Man at all. He was playing Ms. Pac-Man. There was, I didn't know there was a Ms. Pac-Man kill screen, but apparently I, I there wasn't is. aware of that either, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's part of it. So he came in going for a high score and, um, you know, Ms. Pac-Man kill screen of that. Mm-hmm. And then the other guys were going for the, the Pac-Man kill screen, but they were also going for, like, high scores or perfect plays at the same time. Right. So it wasn't just a speed run. It was more like them starting over they know. all had different techniques yeah you know? so one of them was going for score while getting there uh-huh. the other one was going for completion time yeah. fastest to get to it uh and then one of them was going for like the perfect play or something like yeah that. yeah i think it was uh billy abner or something like that don rogers um yeah i don't Tim, know the names offhand and Dwayne, maybe i don't know like the fun <laughs> i don't know yeah i'm not i don't follow that scene too closely the high score twin galaxy scene but yeah Apparently, these are, like, very good, very good people. The top players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People who are um, capable of getting there. So, I watched it uh, for about five hours. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I had it up. It was just on. And-, and I would say by, like, the fourth hour, four and a half hour, the uh, one guy got up to the kill screen on Ms. Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, which I, what I didn't know was when you hit the Ms. Pac-Man kill screen... Which, unfortunately, you don't know when you're watching this what level you're on because there's no level number. It's just fruits at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the top fruit, which on Ms. Pac-Man is banana, it just will show you, you know, banana. And that's it. It's not going to show you any more or less. So you don't know what number you're on. But um, it kind of like people know by score. So when you have kind of like a certain score, that's kind of like the roundabout number of when the kill screen is going to occur. So, um, 
he got in, and on Miss Pac-Man, the game just resets. Mm. It just goes right back to the title screen. Mm-hmm. You see, like, an error message come up, and it goes right back to the title screen. Hmm. And I think he finished with 860-something thousand points. Well, sounds like a lot. Yeah. And, and then he said, like, he's done it thousands of times. Like, the full <laughs> screen. It's like nothing. Uh-huh. But, you know, when he does it, he tries to go for a perfect game. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how the... I mean, from from what I saw from that game, it seemed like he was sort of... Um, he was just trying to stay alive in the maze lo- as long as possible once he gets to a certain level. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps waiting for that banana to come out. So, unlike Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man does not work on patterns. So, when you get to those higher levels and the ghosts are going, like, super fast and your power pellets do nothing, you're just... Power pellets are just other, another dot. That's mm-hmm. all it is. There's no pattern, so you're you're working a hundred percent on skill to avoid the ghosts mm-hmm. and reflex. Right. And he was able to do it. Yeah, sure. It's not a, easy. It's not very easy. <laughs> just people who played Pac-Man know, like Ms. Pac-Man. It's it's kind of easy, but not that easy. Like it's easy up to like you know the banana stage, and so it's getting really hard. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine playing that for three hours, three and a half hours? With no, quite an endurance test. Uh-huh. Um, that, that banana was worth, what, 5,000 points? So yeah. I think he was just kind of, you know, waiting near the tunnel entrances, waiting for that banana to pop out. Yeah. And just, you know, kept dodging the ghosts trying to do that. Yeah, he did hover in the, in the tunnels a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in Pac-Man, when you get to the ninth key, which I didn't know until we watched this, when you get up to the ninth the key... The ninth key. Sounds ominous. The ninth key. The ninth key. That should be like a movie, right? The Pac-Man <laughs> yeah. movie should be called the ninth key. Right. The the game kind of changes where your your power pellets do nothing, so they don't. When you get them, you can't eat the ghosts, and your your Pac-Man character slows down. Mm-hmm. So now you're moving much slower than the ghosts, which makes it much harder to avoid them. However, because Pac-Man works on patterns, the game is pattern based. Mm-hmm. People have developed patterns where you can play that those stages indefinitely following a certain pattern like the ghost will just not get you mm-hmm. you just have to memorize the pattern so that's what those guys do once they get up to the ninth key it's just there's like you know a couple of variations of this pattern and if, as long as you stick to that you can't get killed mm-hmm. which i didn't know that but in miss pac-man you can't do that yeah yeah definitely so uh, unfortunately i had to go to sleep because i had to work so <laughs> i did not get past the fifth hour i don't to know uh, but I, I've, I think someone said that someone made it up to the kill screen mm-hmm. on, on Pac-Man. Okay. But I don't know um, what happened past that. Still trying to find some info on it. Yeah, I was checking back on Twin Galaxy's page to see if they posted a I know, for like, hyping this up and, you know, making a big deal out of it. Yeah. They didn't follow up or anything. A couple of days later, it's still not clear nope. how it went. Even it was on some, you know, it was on Otaku and, mm-hmm. I mean, Kotaku and a couple other sites. They yeah. mentioned it, and they didn't follow up with it either. Hmm. So, maybe we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, if there's nothing else about this particular event, I guess we can talk about some feedback. Yeah, okay. Do we have feedback this week? Uh, looks like we did. Yeah. We had some comments from... Uh, which one do you want to start off with? Uh, well, I'll address some comments. Okay. Um, I'll start with Earl. Uh-huh. Earl Grey the third. He posted a comment uh, about Kirby's Dreamland. Mm-hmm. This is one of the first games he beat to the end. Previously, I had mostly played arcade style games on the Master System and a lot of Game Boy Tetris. And he, he tells us a little story about it. he played it through again recently, about two years ago, on the Game Boy with headphones, 
and really enjoyed the experience. Uh, he thought it was remarkably easy, but the soundtrack stands up well given the short nature of the stages and the stereo separation was very prevalent during the Game Boy era. For that reason, he recommended it as almost an interactive album of game music, <laughs> even more so than the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting point to make about some of these games is, um, you know, just that it's it's almost like a, like kind of like a visual art exhibit, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, sure, there's a game there, and that's how it was designed. And, um, you know, but th- sometimes there's there's other elements that come out of playing a game. Um, and, you know, you can almost think of it as just, yeah, sort of like this, sort of like this concept piece, really, more than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a good point. Uh, Interesting. Interesting yeah. perspective. Yeah, definitely. Uh, our friend Greg Izzy also wanted to chime in on the Kirby Adventure podcast he he also enjoyed it on nes uh he said in fact my sister wanted a mario like game cheap so he suggested kirby at for at funko land and uh he said that nintendo promoted kirby games to no end it was not simply a title that flew in under the radar the commercials were hilarious she got it and wound up playing it a ton I went on to youtube to look for some kirby commercials mm. and i can only find one and uh, at least one from that era, you know, I think there were some modern ones, but, mm-hmm. um, and I don't really remember that commercial very much. So I might've been at the age where I wasn't watching TV as much anymore. Right. And those commercials went right by me. I do remember some print ads and maybe like GamePro and, and EGM, mm. but uh, I don't know. I don't remember a whole lot of advertising, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't recall yeah. anything specific about that particular game. I mean, I, I've never even played the NES version of this game. No, I mean, like uh, I said, this, you know, series. I, like I said recently, like two years ago, I put it on just because I, I think retro knots talked about it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, let me give it a shot. And I put it on. And I was like, oh, all right, you know, maybe I'll come back to this. <laughs> um, but however, because people seem to be very passionate about this game, mm-hmm. I said, let me give it a shot. I'm going to play this. Okay. And also you telling me you can beat it in an hour kind of convinced me. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I, I played... So you beat it in 45 minutes, right? <laughs> not quite. I didn't time it, actually. Uh-huh. I should have. Um, I, I played Kirby's Dream Land. Okay. Um, I have to say your review was pretty accurate. <laughs> um, it, was, it was pretty easy. Uh, I, I, don't, I think the bosses were... I found them to be a lot harder than I thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. I thought it was... Especially how I, I, fig- I felt the stages were, were pretty much a pushover. Mm-hmm. And then the bosses came, and I'm like, whoa, I, I have to actually pay attention now to what I'm doing. Right. Like, I can't just randomly get hit. There's a reason these things are bosses. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was kind of taken aback, especially the King DDD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had trouble with him. I died a couple of times. He really mixed... There's a lot of... There's several different moves that he does. Yeah. So you kind of just have to watch for the, the tell. It was definitely very pattern-based. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised at, at the easiness of the overall game, but the, the bosses were pretty tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, had trouble with the controls. I was using uh, a knockoff Nintendo cause I was playing through an emulator. So I was using this knockoff Nintendo controller, USB controller mm-hmm. and the D pads like really mushy. It's almost like an Intellivision D pad, you know, uh-huh. it was like, you know, there's, it's not even an eight way to 16 way. It was like <laughs> horrible. So uh-huh. I kept moving up all the time when I was playing and I don't know if an original Game Boy would have that issue or not. So I felt the controls a little bit frustrating because I kept floating up in the air a lot. 
especially during the boss fights. Um, but otherwise, I thought it was a good game. The music's good. A little repetitive, but, you know, typical of that generation. But definitely, you know, catchy tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, sprites were good. You know, I, I don't know if I would call that, like, a top 100 game for me. Like, 100 top games. Right. But um, it's definitely good, you know. Not even just for Game Boy? Um, well, for Game Boy, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd have to really sit down and look, yeah. look at it. Okay. It's been a while since I, I dug into that library, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm feeling like I might want to tackle the NES version now mm-hmm. and, and see how it is. Okay. How about the extra game mode on Game Boy? Yeah. After I, I, so after I beat it, I, I did go back in just to see, like, well, what is different? You know, maybe I should have uh-huh. started with the hard mode. And the game's harder, for sure. Mm-hmm. It feels more of like a game now. Like, the enemies are more aggressive. There's more bullets coming at you mm-hmm. or, you know, objects coming at you. And the boss is a considerably much harder mm-hmm. so I felt like maybe I, that's where I should have started to get more of a challenge right uh, and what I didn't realize was there's actually a second another ending to the game mm-hmm. did you know about this no I don't think so yeah after you beat the second time you get treated to uh, a whole like character introduction animation where they they give you the names and animations of every enemy in the game really yeah kind of like what shovel not shovel knight did i believe right at mm. the end they show you like each guy and what his name is and you know uh-huh so i thought that was kind of cool and then they give you another code to unlock another hidden little like easter egg in the game hmm. all right yeah. to look for that yeah so it's worth playing through again i guess i don't don't know if i'm ready to play through it again Uh i don't know if i liked it that much but (laughs) right okay still like i mean game boy games are kind of rough to play through in general i find it depends on the title sure Hmm. maybe (laughs) but no it's definitely uh well i think okay game i think i'm I've, i've sort of reached the opinion that i feel like for for portable games i want i want games that are more Maybe a little more turn-based or a little more strategic. Like, I, I think RPGs are more suited to, to portable form. Um, See, you, yeah, that, that's your... And I argue against that. I say the opposite. <laughs> I say RPGs, that's the last thing I want to do, is to stare at a small screen and read text. Well, I feel when like... I play an RPG. I feel like because of its play-anywhere type of freedom, that you, you don't have to worry about parking yourself in front of the TV for 70 hours to finish an RPG. You can play it anywhere you go. That's a good point. Oh, I could see that side of and then, the argument. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then the other aspect of it is the, the, the Twitch mechanic where, you know, you don't, you don't have to worry about, like, looking at a small screen and trying to dodge bullets and jump, time yeah. your jumps and things like that. It's like, you know, it's just, it's waiting on you, you most of the time. You can almost play with one hand a lot of RPGs, mm-hmm. you know, simple right. mechanics. And, unless, you know, it depends on the game, but. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah. That's just the phase I'm in right now. I could, that could change. Who knows? Well, that's probably why Vita has a lot of those type of games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True enough. All right. So, good. You got some Kirby action as well. I joined in on, on the fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to know. I mean, people talk about these games. I hate talking about things that mm-hmm. I, I don't have a firm grasp on. So, so this now is, I know. I mean, this is why I'm, I'm going back and playing some of these games that, you know, that a lot of people have have experienced, you know, through the system's lifespan, but mm-hmm. for me, a lot of these are new games that I've never p- actually taken the time to play. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting for me to play such highly sort of regarded games for the first time that, you know, just 
haven't had that opportunity to to enjoy that that swell of popularity that yeah. people have, have you know taken the ride Just with. Wait until you get to the NES. <laughs> Still. Have yet to play an NES game. Well, we'll yeah, we will change that at some point. I've dabbled, but we're gonna we're gonna wait until the time is right, <laughs> and you will experience. You're gonna strap me in a chair and put and put, I will put an NES controller in my hand you to some of the worst <laughs> NES games you could possibly play. I'll, I'll sneak in a couple of good ones, but it'll be like it'll be like MST3K, except I'll have to play for my life. Don't give anyone any ideas. <laughs> Well, that was already done. Yeah, with Game Center. I think. But there you go. I mean, it's hard to top top that. But um, but I, I, I'm I'm in a similar boat. These are games that I'm not familiar with necessarily, and uh, I should try and I should give them a try. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other final feedback that we want to address? Uh, Greg also mentioned that he was shocked to see Xevious come out. That he hadn't heard of it previously. And he does also mention that, uh, you know, as far as whether these prototypes will keep appearing, he says yes, because many of them were obtained by private collectors, and they just you sock them away in their collections. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he follows don't, don't that team pretty closely. Yeah, right. Like, they don't, they don't necessarily share them right away. So every now and then, there will be a new one that pops up. Hmm. Yeah, he wasn't too fond of the graphics in the series. <laughs> or what he was expecting. He says it looked horrible. That yeah, was well, the arcade doesn't look that great to begin with, so... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he also points out in the case of the Ouya, in case the store does ever shut down and yeah. these games become inaccessible, um, you would probably be able to sideload them at oh, some right, point. Oh, right, right, yeah. Even if you didn't actually own the yeah, ones I, that... Uh, um, you, he means the ones that I, you didn't... You yeah, because of your season pass or whatever. Yeah, I wonder how how would you, how would I do that? I don't know how that would work. Like, right? How do you sideload an Ouya game though? Like, even if I get the APK and install it, isn't it still gonna look like look for the like licensing? For, or, think, or does it go I would around? I think that? something extra goes into those games to I show wonder. up on Ouya. I didn't try it. He maybe he knows more. I'm gonna have to find out. Right. He also mentions that the Xbox 360 can similarly similarly be modded. To um, you know, allow for XBLA games, which are no longer available to be loaded. Yeah, but, but can you go on? That involves modding your system. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's an extra step that might not be so accessible for some people. Hmm. But good point. Good ideas. Uh, we all good things to think about. we've often said that that pirates are the ones that will ultimately archive all this stuff. Even if one-eyed pirates, you forgot to say one-eyed. <laughs> Peg liked. Sure, you gotta have a parrot too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, people are doing this whether it's officially sanctioned or not. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's always that avenue, I guess. Yeah. All right. So, I guess with that, we'll bring things to a close. Sure. For okay. this time. So thanks for listening. Continue to send us feedback. You can email us at obbfeedback at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook or leave us an iTunes review. Mm-hmm. Or just Google our name, Mount Brooklyn Bites, and you'll find us somewhere. <laughs> Very well. See you next week. See you later. See you later.